Welcome to It Came From New Jersey, a podcast about music from the great state of New Jersey. I'm one of your two hosts. My name is Bob. And I'm Pete. How's it going, Pete? How are you? Going pretty good. Pretty excited to talk about the record today. Yeah, me too. Um, we can pretend we didn't just have a really long conversation about laptops because um, we're, we're diving into a record that predates laptops by a lot today. It certainly does, yeah. Um, so uh, before we get into it, a, a quick preamble. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. Every, every episode can be someone's first episode. Uh, as I mentioned, the elevator pitch is that we talk about music from the state of New Jersey. The long form is Pete and I have been involved in music for a long time, mostly independent, mostly small stuff, but a lot of it centered around the various types of music that go on in the state of New Jersey. And with that respect, we wanted to explore records, big, small, and otherwise, from New Jersey that we're either intimately familiar with, a little bit familiar with, or completely unfamiliar with. That All that said, <clears throat> please check out our other episodes. have a couple in the bank already. If you're joining us for today's episode, you're in for a treat. This is a record I know pretty well. And <clears throat> despite 23-ish years of friendship with Pete, I don't know that I've ever had a meaningful conversation with him about the misfits yeah this is an interesting one i mean it's it's kind of a softball for both of us just because we're both so familiar i think it's the first definitely the first real softball episode that we've had in terms of you know a record that we you know we've we've heard way more than once i imagine um you know yes (laughs) so uh you know, last last week we covered Monster Magnet, Dopes and Infinity. The week before that was Gaslight Anthem, Fifty Nine Sounds. So we've kind of touched on one record that we were both not familiar with at all, and then another yep. album that we, you know, were somewhat familiar with. But this is the yeah. first one where I think there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of kind of perspectives and. Um, you know, opinions that come from different places. It's, it's going to be hard to be objective on this one, you know? Yes. Yeah, so when you, when you get into this episode, uh, know that we both have a background, uh, in punk music, hardcore punk, the whole thing. And, uh, the misfits are a formative band to that. And I think if you're of a certain age, they're more than formative. They're Mount Rushmore to a lot of people. Um, and so, we, we don't talk about bands uh, in as much as we do when you talk about their records. Today, we are discussing The Misfits' Walk Among Us. Uh, as, as Pete mentioned, total softball pitch, but I wanted to kind of bring it to center here on something that we really sink our teeth into. And, and, <clears throat> and to be honest, digest and maybe pick apart in a way that you, as a listener, don't feel comfortable doing to a record when you listen to it the first and second and third time or a record that you're familiar with, but you know, it's, it's something that just kind of exists there and you have an affinity for, but you know, the misfits are a band who let me just be really clear. I love, and I love this record and I'm not going to be afraid to pull, pull at the strings. And so for people who are listening, who are giant misfits fans, please know that everything said today is done with the biggest love you could imagine and also saying, hey, 
even Michael Jordan missed shots. Uh, the Misfits are an incredible band. And if it were up to me, uh, man, this is a record that I would put in almost anyone who likes aggressive music's catalog. But we're going to kind of unravel it in the way that we do. Pete, uh, before we get into this, today's episode, when is the last time before this exercise, before listening to the record for for this episode, uh, did you hear Walk Among Us? I don't remember exactly, but I have to think it was over. It was definitely over four or five years ago. It's been a long time. Um, and I think the reason for that is not because I don't like the record. Again, like I'm a huge Misfits fan. I just, they're one of those bands for me that um, I'm so, I was so familiar with, well, I became familiar with the, with at a young age. And as a result, I listened to them, you know, a lot, a long time ago. And I'm so familiar with them at this point that I just don't find myself revisiting them all that often, you know? So, um, this, I would say probably five years or so. It's been less time for me, but <clears throat> that, that old glove feeling, that old coat, um, I actually have a, Carhartt jacket, Pete, that I have had since 1995. Um, and I guess I'm proud to admit that it still fits me very well, um, despite gaining some uh, at least 75 pounds uh, <laughs> in the it interim. Happens. It happens. I, I'm, a, I'm a tall person, though, so thankfully it's not, uh, it's not too crazy. Um, but yeah. the jacket still fits me. It became, I retired it um, probably 12 or 14 years ago. And it became solely used as the jacket I wear when I'm carrying our Christmas tree into the house and our Christmas tree out of the house, because it's got the, you know, it's a Carhartt thick, uh, heavy weave jacket so that now it's a little snug, (laughs) but it still fits, still zips the whole thing. Um, but I can wear it, get covered. If there's pine needles, if there's any sort of sap, any goo, I don't care if it gets on this jacket. You know, um, I love the jacket, but it, it's got one use. Misfits Walk Among Us is is more than a one-trick pony, but it does feel like that. I probably listen to the record once a year, maybe more frequently. And to be honest, when I sat with it here, I was like, yeah. I I love this record in a way that I I should probably pull it out more often, um, and I, I think that it deserves a lot of attention, maybe more than it gets right now. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's actually part of what I'm curious about is, and I think we'll get into it maybe later. But how much the Misfits, you know, are actually you know a band that people like a gateway band at this point. Um, yeah, but I, actually, I wanted to kick it off real quick. Do you remember the first time you heard the Misfits or do you have any recollection of that? I do. I I actually remember it very specifically. Um, I heard there's two really quick intro stories on that. I heard the song Skulls being played in, um, in a friend's car. And uh, they were they were already into punk, and I, I wasn't I was just getting into things. But I I remember <clears throat> a lot of the stuff they listened to was a little more aggressive, and you know more. And aggressive is such a fun word to use because it's it's a bit ambiguous though here. 
um, it was less tuneful and it was more severe and kind of caustic to the ears. So when on the mixtape, the Misfits came on, Skulls, as someone who wasn't really entrenched in that kind of like super aggressive, hyper fast, hard music. When the Misfits come on, it was like a different thing. It's very tuneful and it's got the same, I want your skull, you know, and, (laughs) and it stuck like immediately. It was like, Oh, this is one of the first punk songs I love. So, so that was like, one of the earliest memories. And then <clears throat> fast forward, not a year probably, but maybe may, it could have been as few as a few months, but when you're young, months feel like years sometimes. Uh, and on my cross country team was uh, a, an older guy. He was a senior and I was a freshman named blaze and I'll redact his last name for privacy sake. And he, uh, he was a huge misfits fan. He was a kind of nutty dude, but he loved the mitzvahs and uh, and he eventually became, you know, at the very least an acquaintance, but probably a friend, I would say. And he uh, he would start our cross country meets by screaming the lyrics to misfit songs like as he's like. And so cross country, for those who aren't unfamiliar, is distance running. It's essentially a 5K race for the typical one, um, 3.1 miles. And you go – You so when you start running cross-country, you're told right away, like, you don't sprint at the beginning. You want to sprint, sprint at the end. But you don't want to sprint at the beginning because you're not going to have the energy. However, when you all line up on a line, it is very hard not to want to sprint. And this dude would sprint every time. Every time, and he'd be screaming Misfits lyrics to himself, basically. And uh, I think it drove the cross-country coach up a wall um, and made him crazy. But it worked for him, and I just remember that. That's like one of those like indelible memories of like, <laughs> what is going on? It, That's the um, thing to do. That'll definitely get everybody ramped up. Get, get some pumped. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, those are my two memories. Skulls and running cross-country. What about you? Um, I don't actually remember the first time. I have to think that it was probably on a skate video or something. Um, right. they were one of those bands that, um, you know, um, I'm not ashamed. I definitely got into punk rock through green day and a lot of things that were happening at the time. Um, sure. but, uh, somebody, one of my friends must've had a misfit CD and it was just one of those things that was on all the time. But, um, I think the funny part about it is, I think it has to have been Walk Among Us or, or one of the collection albums. Um, right, which, were, heard, which were very big. Yeah, that I heard the most. But then um, American Psycho came out like like right around then. So yeah. I remember kind of listening to the two interchangeably. And like, honestly, at that point, I, I, I didn't have the ear. I was just like, I guess, you know, they've just been playing for 20 years or something. And uh I think I preferred American Psycho at the time, which I definitely don't anymore. I've, I have revisited it, and it doesn't stand up all that well to me. But um, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I actually I saw the Misfits a year ago um, when they played Newark, 
And I have to say that I enjoyed seeing them in 1997 at the Birch Hill with yeah. Michael Graves singing more than I did when I saw them last year. So um, let's unpack that for a second. Um, what do you think it was? I mean, for me, it was, you know, being a kid, being excited about it. Really, like, I had no interest in whether it was Danzig or who was singing it. Like, none of that mattered to me. It was just a matter of, you know, hearing those songs being played. Um, yeah. It just felt like the energy was there. Um, I remember the crowd was super psyched. Um, I think I think it was Misfits, Sick of It All, and H2O. Um, that sounds that right. Yep. Yep. Um, and that was actually, you know, a whole other conversation where, you know, I was getting into those bands at the time as well. For sure. Um, whereas the show last year, um, like A, the sound was terrible. Um, and B... I, I heard that, which is wild. So I'm sorry, continue. No, no, yeah. Um, the sound was bad, but then it was, it was also just, you know, listen, if I was in a situation like... Danzig or any of, you know, Doyle or any of those guys are, I would play all of the Misfits shows I could, you know, like, why not? Yes. You, yeah. you built the band, you know, there's demand, you know, play the shows. A lot of people had a lot of great times. I heard the Madison Square Garden show was fantastic. You know, I've no beef with the whole thing, but um, it was really obvious to me that the only person that knew what was happening at any given point on stage was Dave Lombardo who yeah. <laughs> uh, was playing drums. So, you know, if you know the misfits and know the members, he is not one of the original members. He was one of the guys that got pulled in for that show, you know, and uh, everyone else, there were flubs kind of all over the place. The sound was off. There were certain points where you really couldn't tell what song they were playing, which is, you know, tough with misfits because most of the songs are so iconic you know you know you know yes. them front to back um but not only did the crowd not know until they really got to the chorus but the band didn't seem to know so it was just oh, really no. it didn't it just the the spirit wasn't there for me the energy wasn't there for me it was not a great experience i have much fonder memories of seeing them you know in the late 90s yeah I, well so you you hit the right point first is the the experience it's very hard to explain until you're there and when you are there you really understand it the excitement and newness of things when you're a kid can't be understated that's not to say you can't have incredible show going and live event experiences as an adult it's just different you know it's it's like it's like eating your favorite dinner the first time or the second time you discover a new restaurant and you go and you're like, oh my God, this is incredible. There's the first time where it's that magic of this is new. I love it. I just discovered it. Then there's the, I like this so much. I can't wait to go again. And after about the 20th time, and it's now just a part of your routine, you might not take it for granted. You might still love it. You might still really enjoy it. You might still crave it, but it's not the same. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. so I, I think that that is one part of it. And yeah, I I did not go to see the Misfits um, at the Newark show or the Madison Square Garden show. And I had the opportunity. Um, a friend actually gave me a chance to go, and and they had a whole setup in one of the suites. And I, I really should have, but I had the uh, the inkling that I'd probably get another chance. And 
Uh, and I just, just don't know. Um, it's, it's sort of the question of, do I think I want to see that band in that experience? Um, and Pete, you know, we're talking mighty familiar about yeah. the, the misfits and, and that's okay because we are, but I do want to pull this out because there could be someone out there listening. It's completely unfamiliar with this band. So sure. let's, uh, let's clear up the table here. We're going to tidy our papers and give you a little background on the misfits because you might've heard us throw out a bunch of names and you'd be like, wait, who, what, where, uh, the misfits are a really early first wave punk band from Lodi, New Jersey. And, um, you know, their first single came out in 77 cough cool, I believe. Yeah. And, um, members of the band are Glenn Danzig who, you know, is primarily associated with this band. And then his, eponymously named solo act Danzig, but not a solo act, but you know, named the band after himself. (laughs) Um, And uh, he also did a band called Sam Hain in the middle. Uh, Jerry only, who has pretty consistently uh, done the misfits uh, after a short break through the mid and late eighties, brought it back in the late nineties with a variety of different singers and uh, Doyle is Doyle. Jerry Only's brother. Am I correct about that? That's no. actually a good question. I don't. I don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah. No. Well. Well. Doyle and, and you know there was. Am I forgetting someone? Danzig Doyle. No, you're right. Jerry, I, Only. Jerry Only's brother okay. is Doyle. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. So these dudes started this band. Um, they <sighs> musical style speaking broadly, so we can set the table. Punk but with a real um, kind of appreciation for uh, American rock a la Elvis. Yeah. Um, I think the the influence, especially now, you know, Danzig just recently put out an album of Elvis songs, but I think, you know, you listen to his voice and the, the Elvis influence is definitely there. Right. And so, you know, these guys are coming right in the wake of the Ramones and all that stuff. But but they start very small. They release their own records. Bah, bah, bah. They get more entrenched primarily with this, like, the DIY punk and hardcore world who really embraces them and, and loves them. Despite the fact, and I think there was some mutual appreciation. I think uh, at least a couple of these guys were into that first wave of American hardcore punk rock stuff, but they were always a little different. These dudes from day one were wearing makeup and that was so interesting because it's antecedent to a lot of the other with the bands they were playing with. You know, you talk about black flag and that's a band who was getting on stage in street clothes, you know, the the clothes they wore, put on when they woke up in the morning were the ones they wore on stage later that night um, with the misfits. I was a little different and um, they were always more into the performative elements and somehow it all worked, which uh, is kind of magical and cool and weird all at the same time. They break up in, I don't know, 83, 83. Right. Um, Walk Among Us is a proper studio album that came out in 1982. And uh, and that's where we're kind of going to get into any other news or notes. Uh, the Misfits are also very famous 
because of a lot of internal squabbles because their imagery is iconic. The crimson ghost figure, um, I'm certain that even if you are completely unfamiliar with their music, if you saw this image, you go, I saw that shirt on someone here, there, or anywhere. Um, and because they became so famous, they were bootlegged, their merchandise had true value, all this type of thing. And so that led to infighting in the band, lots of litigation, who owned what, who wrote what, bop, bop, bop. And up until, what was that, three years ago? Four years ago? Something like that? When they started playing? Yeah, when they started playing with Glenn Danzig. Danzig. Yeah, Yeah. I think it was about two or three years ago. Um, Danzig refused to have anything to do with the Misfits, other than when he would do his concerts, his, his band would perform a couple songs here or there as they chose. Um, and the other members had a version of the misfits that as, as Pete noted, um, they had a, uh, a singer who was the first replacement for Glenn Danzig, uh, Michael Graves, who did the band for a while. And after him, it was essentially kind of a rotating cast of characters where they had everyone from one of the Ramones singing to uh, a, a fellow named Zoli Teglas, who sang in a, ba- a hardcore punk band named Ignite, um, who's very notable because he had a very operatic voice. So putting him in the shoes were, was very interesting. And I mean, and there's probably at least a handful more who were regular assignment singers for this band, The Misfits, including times where Jerry only would just sing all the songs. Um, and as far as I know, they were still you know, making returns as a touring act through that time frame. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think Doyle was doing some solo stuff here and there, but the misfits were pretty much always playing in some capacity. So, uh, let's get into the meat of what we're here to talk about, which is the record walk among us. Pete, as you established you, it had been a while since you heard it for me. It had been a while. Was there anything in your head any preconceived notions or thoughts about this record leading into it um, being that it had been a while since you listened. So this was always one of my go-tos. It was either, I would either, if I was going to listen to the misfits, I'd either listen to this or collection one or collection two and collection. The collection albums are um, not exactly, um, you know, collections of their singles. I think some of them are, a lot of them are re-recordings. Um, right. But uh, essentially, it's just singles collections. So, you know, I was excited to listen to it. I knew that, you know, I liked it. I just um, wanted to kind of go in with fresh ears and, you know, see what I thought about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For me, not much. This was, this was, is my favorite Misfits record. And I wanted to frame it like, as I mentioned at the top, are there things I can look for on this record and kind of pick at? Um, which seems tough, but um, we're treating Walk Among Us like the prized student in a classroom. That you need to push him because he's so good, you know. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're gonna correct all the grammar and and really go into it. Um, I did want to think about too, you know, while I was listening to it like what else was actually happening at the time. Cause it's one of those albums oh. that, you know, I, I, I listened to, I've just listened to for so long that it kind of, it doesn't really have much of a context for me. Um, and mm-hmm. I guess I should say historical context. 
Um, because, you know, for me, it's just kind of one of those things that's always been there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I wanted to look at like what other albums were coming out at the time and things like that. I mean, you mentioned not to get into it too much, but you mentioned, mentioned the face paint before and kind of the, the theatricality of, of it all. And, you know, that was, that was like a really, really new thing at the time. I mean, the only band really doing that was kiss, but obviously they were right. operating a different lane than kiss. Right. So, yes. um, you think of bands like, you know, there's a punk band called TSOL. There's another band called Christian death and, you know, they're all pretty influential bands now, but at the time they were kind of riding on that misfits vibe. Um, you know, and uh, Misfits were kind of the originators, I guess, if we're not giving it to Kiss, because maybe Kiss are the originators. But <laughs> we, we might need to give it to Kiss. However, the Misfits really took it out of the arena. And I think that's important. Um, taking it out of the arena and putting it in a place where you can touch it and feel it, I think set the stage in a different way for how, how music can be performative and artistic in even in a small sense, even in a way that you can reach out and touch it because with kiss, yeah, they were larger than life and that's part of their whole appeal. And I could really, if somebody wants to talk to me about kiss alive too, we could really go in on that for a while, but it was on a giant stage in a giant stadium and it always has been. And it was meant to be, you know what I mean? Like if somebody wants to tell me about the earliest kiss shows in, in, you know, mid-sized venues. Okay. That's neat. To be honest, if I want to see Kiss, I want to see them in a stadium. And that's sort of, you know, that kind of goes full circle to this idea of like the Misfits, however, I'd rather see in a club. Yeah. I'd want it, them in full paint, but I seeing them in a stadium was kind or an arena was kind of the pushback. Like, is this, this the uh, the way I want to experience this? It's a completely different energy. You know, I mean, um, although the aesthetics might be like a a little bit similar um you know kiss are singing about cold gin and the misfits are singing about going out and killing you know so i yes. mean it's, it couldn't be more different really right so um so i think it's important to note that was such a great question because i've never put uh, and I, I like to look at things historically but i've never put where walk among us fits into the register and where it fits into how things go um comes out in 1982 um on Ruby Records, which is also a part of Slash Records. Slash Records, for people who don't know, was a big label that eventually gets acquired by Warner Brothers, but put out a lot of early punk and then moving on like odd alternative music. So everything from releasing the first Germs record and X Los Angeles to putting out records for violent femmes and you know uh los lobos and stuff like that much <laughs> later on um when we're talking about 1982 some of the other records that came out on slash include and i thought this was really interesting fear the record mm -hmm. pretty big one in the punk world gun club fire of love and dream syndicate the days of wine and roses i'm not familiar with that one and the uh xlp wild gift so Walk Among Us in the Fear record. I can actually see parallels. Um, I, I for who they are and how this comes out, it's it's sort of interesting because it's it's not 
it's so it's such a monolith to to someone who's into punk music but in reality it, this is a small release you know this is not a huge major label like roll out like check it out um, right they were originally planning to release this in 81 on their own label but couldn't and this is you know you can pull this and ch- read the wikipedia stuff for yourself at some point but uh but they do and it did pretty well um but pretty well at that time is 20,000 copies. So for the punk world, that's a lot. For anything else, no, that's okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And um, I actually, I, it's, it's funny you said 20,000. I was actually just reading about that. I I read that Danzig claims that it sold 20,000. But, mm. but apparently um, one of the record execs of Slash at the time said all the, all the records that were coming out at that time sold around like 25,000 or 2,500 to like 7,000 max. So like that number could be wildly inflated. Right. And that's, that's the part that's interesting is that for some of these early punk records um, and I'll cite black flag damage as another example, some of the danger house records, circle jerks records, stuff like that. 20 to 25,000 is like this weird 15, 20, 25,000 is this weird magic number that kind of gets tossed out. (laughs) Um, And why that's important. It's sort of like, well, who's going to check you on that? You know, it's, it's like, uh, it's like telling stories that like no one can, can totally confirm or deny, but people can speculate about. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound real, but, it's also not so crazy that it, it it's not so crazy that it, it's a lie worth telling. So if it's a makeup number, great. If it's not great. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point, the misfits are so iconic that it sounds like a really low number, you know? Yeah. 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 So um, when it gets to the music, how would you describe misfits walk among us to someone who had never heard it? Um, it is, it's really, really driving. Um, it is, I I would say it's, it's like the most relentless music that you're going to listen to that is still really catchy and sing-alongy. Um, you know, it's, I was actually, I forgot that 20 eyes was the first song and it just like how aggressively the record kicks in. Um, Yes. It's really like it's it still sounds really edgy. It's still like the record sounds great. Um but you know, there's still a lot of woes, there's a lot of hooks. Um they definitely I think probably wanted everybody to be singing all the lyrics along with them. You know, it's 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 like the songs seem like they were built to to have sing-alongs too. So um but at the same time it's really dark. Um, there's a lot of the, the lyrics evoke, you know, like a lot of dark imagery. A lot of it's taken from, I think, like 50s and 60s horror films mostly. Yes. So it's like, I don't know, the the short version is like horror movie influenced um, aggressive punk rock. Yeah. And um, yes. And the, it is driving. The speed is mid-tempo to fast but it you know in the register of someone who's more you wouldn't call this fast to anyone who's familiar with metal or punk music in the modern sense right like 
it's fast yeah. compared to a lot of things, but you know, it's not, it's not racing. It's not, there's no, there's no just unbelievably fast, you know, BPM. Um, I'll say but this, though, it, like, like the, the, sorry to cut you off, but the, the energy no, there, like it's not as fast as metal. It's not as fast as, you know, a lot of punk rock now. It definitely isn't. Um, it's certainly mid tempo in comparison to all that stuff. But I think the energy that they play thing, they, they play the songs at, it's like they are definitely playing as fast and as hard as they know how to. And yes. you, you can kind you can kind of feel that through the record. Um, and that's, yeah, that reverberates that, 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 that like you yeah, that's the effective part to me. That's really well put. I didn't think about that. That's, that might be the, if I put my head to it, I think describing this record as energetic, vibrant, dark punk, you know what I mean? Because it's lyrical content is pretty funny it actually is toned down from the singles. Uh, I was I was thinking about that because I was like, ooh. Um, now, and I should say it's toned down and, and give you a sampling of the song, Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight? Uh, singled out yeah. the kids who are mean to me. Get straight A's, but they still make fun. I don't give a, I'll laugh last. Stayed in every night. Do my homework so I'll be smart. Girls all say I'm a little fucked. Mommy, I'm a good boy. Mommy, I'm a fucking savior. Mommy, I'm alive. Mommy, can I go out and kill tonight? Um, rip the veins from human necks until they're wet with life. Razor blades love teenage flesh and epidermody. Uh, I'll bring back a souvenir for it's my mommy's dream. Can I go out and kill tonight? Kill tonight. Um, that is the toned down lyrics for the misfits. <laughs> and do you think that could fly? in the uh in the current you know for lack of a better term the current climate um no i'm not sure it could now how about this one let me give you this and then i want to hear you uh the song bullet and this is the one i was thinking of because bullet is a is the second (laughs) single by the misfits um and you'll probably be able to get what the song's about Man, are we going to have to have like a parental advisory sticker on this podcast? I know, right, yeah. Um, President's bullet-ridden body in the street, ride Johnny ride. Kennedy's shattered head hits concrete, ride Johnny ride. Johnny's wife is floundering. Johnny's wife is scared. Run, Jackie, run. Texas is in an outrage when your husband is dead. Texas is in an outrage when they pick up his head. Texas is the reason that the president's dead. You gotta suck, suck, Jackie, suck. So, um... (laughs) And it goes it goes beyond that. I'll stop right there. Uh, let me put it out there. I love this song. I, again, love The Misfits. Lyrically, this is pushing the limit in a way that bands today wouldn't dare. Wouldn't dare. This is like Cannibal Corpse territory. It's like like the deepest of like death metal, you know? Right. And, and, and I, I say that not just speaking really broadly in the way that we – have so far talked about kind of different records in this realm and, and we'll probably eventually hit a Bruce Springsteen record in here, but this is something that even underground punk and hardcore bands don't tread into this level of conversation today. And oftentimes you see lyrical content 
kind of progress and change and push boundaries. And yeah, outside of like true like death metal or like the most edgy of like intentionally edgy, not like, hey, we're writing this song and this, you know, Bullet is a staple of the Misfits collection. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not some throwaway track. This is a popular Misfits song. And those lyrics are uh, are scalding. Um, so it's a it's interesting to see how they kind of really push the limits lyrically. Um, and, and as far as the music, it's just it really is. It's driving. It's pulsating. They can I say this? I think discovering the Misfits before the Ramones made it harder for me to appreciate the Ramones. Sure. That actually makes sense. I mean, it's much more, um, it's a, it's an entirely different energy. I mean, Ramones feel like Disney world compared to this. Yeah. And, and you know, that isn't to say the Ramones don't have a lot of merit. The Ramones are an important band, a cool band, whatever. But when I was working my way as a young person in music, I was like, okay, the Ramones are neat. This is like nifty. But what I want, I, I looked at that energy that the Misfits brought, specifically on Walk Among Us, and was like, they're tuneful. They're, you know, this is these are songs that get stuck in my head. It's relatively simple music, like, you know, the three chords type thing. It's pretty simple. But it's just so much, it's just, the music rips out of the record at you. And uh, I don't get that sensation for many records, and I still get that from Walk Among Us. Yeah, certainly. Um, if we want to jump back into kind of the history really quick. Please. I, the Miss, so, so I guess full context, um, you know, one of the reasons I like doing this podcast and wanted to do this was because I always like, you know, thinking about the history of albums and where they came from and like who was involved and all that stuff. So the Misfits historically for me have always been tough when I think of it in that context, because their discography is like impossible to follow. Um, yes. You know, there's like there's singles and then there's albums, but then there's albums that were recorded but never released. And then there were albums that were recorded and not released until, you know, 20 years later. And um, it's just, you know, and then there's singles collection where the actual singles are re-recorded, you know, so um, they've always been like tough for me and uh, uh, annoying in that way. But that being said, um, I actually didn't know that um, there were two albums recorded before this. I knew there was one. So Static Age was recorded and they recorded 12 hits from hell. So um, Walk Among Us was recorded between 81 and the very, very beginning of 82. Um, but there were two albums before that. Static Age was finally released in 1996. Um, 12 Hits from Hell has never actually had an official release, although you can find bootlegs of it pretty easily. Um, so I knew about Static Age because that came out around the time that I was getting into The Misfits. Yeah. Um, but I actually wasn't even aware of 12 Hits from Hell until a few years ago, honestly. Um, so a lot of music there. And it's interesting to me that they recorded two full albums before this, but yet this album is kind of a Frankenstein of an album. I mean, there's a live track on it. You know, not everything was recorded in the same place, although I think most of it was. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting that, you know, 
given all of the recordings that they did for this, that they ended up with this. Right. Um, on a purely sound, like sonic view, are there things about this recording that you would change or, or I mean, or that you think could be quote unquote better? The one thing I will say is this record certainly sounds of its time. You know, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a particularly clean recording. Um, it, it's a, it's pretty dirty is not the right word, but there's a fuzz to it and it works. And I feel like part of that is intentional because that's sort of the sound they're going for. But if you listen to other, if you were to listen to a Ramones record from this time, it's not nearly as buzzsaw as this record. Right. Yeah, it definitely has a, a much more aggressive energy than all that stuff. Although, you know, one of the things I was thinking about, and this is kind of maybe it's the wrong time to ask the question, but no. um, just to bring it out, you know, do you think that the Misfits, you know, obviously they fell into the punk scene, you know, punk hardcore scene. That's where they ended up playing. But do you think that's actually where they wanted to be? Or do you think that they you know, had their gaze set much on much, you know, grander ambitions and kind of ended up fitting into the punk scene. And that's, you know, just kind of where, where it landed, because I really don't know. Like, I, I, I get the sense that, um, I, th- I don't know. I get the sense that they, they could have been involved in punk, but they could have been involved in, you know, just like the New York city rock and roll bar scene. And they would have been just as sure. happy. Yeah. I think, purely speculative and i'm sure there are misfits diehards who could give us a much better look into this eye but but the way i always felt about it and the way i always saw it, and it's kind of why i appreciate the misfits as this singular entity was that they liked where they were they appreciate it they love the energy because it's perhaps the only rooms they could find that match their energy were other you know bands in the hardcore and punk scene and if you listen to their other records if you listen to the record earth ad that's that's a that's a much faster record that's a um it's not thrash because when i think of thrash i think of more metal leaning guitars but it's a very fast punk record it's a blazing fast punk record right so i think they ended up leaning that way sonically but i think they would have been happy uh if you had told the misfits and this is perhaps what sets them apart. Hey, you're going to play 3,000 capacity venues across the U.S. and sell them out. And then you're going to move up and start playing small arenas. And, you know, you're going to go tour with Kiss. <sighs> there is no part of me that thinks they would say no. Right. You know, I don't think that wasn't... <clears throat> that wasn't... Uh, success to them was was success. They, they thought... Oh, we can we can do this band, and we won't work odd job construction in North Jersey. Uh, right. <laughs> that's great, fantastic. We'll do that. Um, all that said, that is one of these weird separators because the Misfits were a very DIY operation. They were releasing their own records. They had their own fan club that they ran. They did all these little things, and they were, from what I understand, it was all done by them. But had and, and you know and then Walk Among Us comes out on Slash, which is you know on Ruby, which is an imprint of Slash, which is notably a bigger record. 
But if they <clears throat> had the opportunity to sign to Electra or Atlantic or Warner Brothers, I'm sure they would have considered that. Uh, as you can see, where where Danzig went, uh, that he went major label and and ended up being quite successful for a long time. Right. Um, so so the question being, did they just kind of end up in the more hardcore punk world? This this world that's a little bit more DIY by nature, almost in spite of and in the face of trying to do things for financial or monetary success. Absolutely. But somehow it worked. And that's one of the miracles of this band that's most impressive is that they were odd ducks. Yeah. <laughs> and and were were revered. Um these they were seen as formative to the sound and I, I don't know I don't know that they get credit for that energy and influence they had on the earliest, the first wave of, of American hardcore. Yeah, for um, sure. You I know mean, what I, I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I just I listened to the album and I I I thought to myself, like kind of going back to my point about how it sounds like they're doing the best they can, you know, and like really pushing it. Right. Like, they could definitely write a hook. They could definitely write a song. Like these songs are like, obviously, you know, Pantheon punk rock songs. But that being said, like, it just sounds like they, they're pushing in a way that they, they want it to be like advanced. And it's just like, it hasn't gotten to the point that they like as players are capable of getting, you know, like, like, I don't know. I, I think about how much like, Metallica are influenced by the Misfits. You know, I, they kind of like wear that on their sleeve, not so much in their yeah. sound. Like, you know, they wear the shirts and all this stuff. They wear the shirts, they do the covers, right? For yeah, sure. Yeah. And like, I think to myself, like, you know, like the Misfits probably like wanted to be doing like more technical stuff, but like, you know, you listen to the drummer and like the drums are great. They're like, they're, they're great punk rock drums, but yeah, like, yeah. and the guitars are too, but like, those dudes weren't like the best in the biz, you know, when it came to like, actually like their chops, you know? No, um, no. <laughs> in fact, in, in fact, like the, uh, one of the reasons I got into playing music was because I listened to the misfits and I was like, yeah, as like a 12 year old kid. I was like, I think I can like probably I think figure I can do that this. out. Right. You know? I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, which that's no, like oh. that's a whole other level, you know, but of the influence. Um, no, I mean, yo, what you felt at 12, is something that, wow, I wonder about that influence because of the aptitude that they showed, um, which is, you know, let's spade a spade outside of Glenn Danzig as a vocalist, and we'll let's let's put a pin in that. They aren't remarkable players except for what with the energy they play. Yeah. You know, it's they're pounding their their instruments. They are they are come up. They're playing as hard as they can, and that is important. Um, and I think it doesn't get the due credit or respect it deserves. Now, I say that, and they sell out arenas, and they sold out Madison Square Garden, so it's not like they haven't gotten some respect. But in conversations <laughs> about influential early American punk and hardcore bands, they they might get lift, left off that note just because their, their star rose so high. Um, with that said, are you pro Glenn Danzig vocals, anti, or somewhere in the middle? Um, 
in terms of like what now? Uh, now, then, forever. If that's changed, go through your journey. Um, I mean, I'm definitely pro, I guess. I mean, like, I, you know, my favorite Misfits records are the ones with Glenn Danzig. Um, I think, uh, I think his voice really works for that music. I think he, I don't know. I mean, it seems to me that he was like more or less the visionary behind the whole thing. So to me, like the Misfits, it's not really the same without him. Um, I don't know that like, you know, 2018 to 2020 Misfits, notwithstanding, like, Sure. We, can, we can even pretend that doesn't exist. Like, I just think that um, you get a different energy from the original Misfits than you do with, you know, American Psycho and Famous Monsters and all of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm I guess I'm pro. Um, he uh, he definitely had a vision and he definitely contributed like massively, you know, to the band. So I, I have to say I'm pro. I'm pro. I'm pro his vocals through all his material. Uh, I like him in Danzig. He has a unique voice. Um, he's going for Elvis, but also in an aggressive way. And um, man, if anyone who's listening to this, uh, whether you're really big Misfits fan or or you like the band but you haven't dug into things, or or you're really not. I'd like you to listen to the records, this one specifically, Walk Among Us, hear his vocals, um, maybe go check out one of the Danzig records, hear his voice. He's got chops. He can sing. And then I would like you to hear a clip of him speaking (laughs) because he's not Sylvester Stallone, but he's the North Jersey version of that. And he's kind of got this like talking like, like a guy who grew up in, you know, North Jersey in the... 70s (laughs) yeah and he's got a real good attitude about it um he's got some fucking attitude and uh it's really amazing to hear the chops from that dude um so if you if you aren't a singer maybe this is your inspiration as well to go maybe i can do that um he's got a great voice and he's pulling from unique wells i think one of the other parts that really makes the misfits stick out we reference the lyrics the content as being kind of salacious and shocking and extreme, but they also are very unique. And in the way that they were taking themes and following those themes and singing about these influences of horror movies and sci-fi movies, they opened up this world of appreciation for that in a different way. It's not total homage, but it's pretty close. And in the same way as I'm saying, hey, let's put some respect on the name of the Misfits, towards their influence on the first wave American punk hardcore and DIY nature Two, they open up this world of horror and sci-fi. Not that they were the only ones doing it. I'm sure there were people doing newsletters, but these guys were putting out songs about horror movies and sci-fi films that were kind of cultish. So they kind of struck into this really interesting vein uh, and kind of a, the Venn diagram of people into punk music and into horror and sci-fi in a real heavy way intersects perfectly at where the misfits are. Yeah, definitely. They like created their own niche in a way that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's gone away, you know I mean? Like, like my chemical romance, for example, I don't even, that's actually an album that I want to touch on at some point because, uh, I've never heard them, but, um, yes. 
just aesthetically, you know, you can tell there's like an obvious Misfits influence, right? Um, Absolutely. Oh, like the updated version, perhaps. And we, right. we do have to talk about them. Um, yeah. So, so is there anything you would change on Walk Among Us? So I don't, I don't really think so, actually. Um, I honestly had forgotten that uh, Mommy Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight was a live track. Yep. Um, and I couldn't really find an answer in my research for like why that was. It just kind of seems like that was probably the best version at the time that they had. And, you know, they decided to put that on because they liked the track. Yep. Um, <laughs> which is cool. You know I mean? Again, it, it sounds great. I don't think it takes anything away from the record. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I think that it's like a, almost a five out of five punk record in the way yeah. that like the energy's there they're playing their asses off um like you said i mean like that diy spirit like they you know were one of the forebearers of that stuff um i don't know like every track is a hit um, well i agree the only one i would say brain eaters is the one i would go maybe i could cut this however I was going to, that was my next comment actually. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I, that's the one song that I didn't really remember being on the record, probably because I never cared. Never cared. However, I want to say there is a certain charm to a song like that. Um, it is silly. It is playful. It is a closer that has, they don't take themselves too serious. And, and in a world that quite often takes itself too serious having a song that makes your simple otherwise speaking songs look like calculus um closing your record with uh brains for dinner brains for lunch brains for breakfast brains for brunch brains at every <laughs> single meal why can't we have some guts oi oi um see but that's the one that's that's where to me it's like cut it you're like cut it yeah like it's it, <laughs> It sounds like they all got hammered and like had a party in the studio and like that that's something you can like save for yourselves, you know. Like, <laughs> okay, so so if we have to vote, I guess we're gonna vote brain eaters off. However, yeah. I bet there's some giant misfits fan who's listening and is very upset at us and to it's, you uh, it's, I apologize, but it's probably a great track to like, you know, close the bar out to. I don't know, but like yeah, it's yeah, it's, I, I can go I can get better pub rock. Um, yeah, around exactly. town. So, exactly. um, otherwise, it's a thirteen song, including Brain Eaters, twenty-four minute, thirty-eight second record. Um, if we take out Brain Eaters, which is uh, fifty-six seconds, and take out the "Mommy, Can I Go and Kill Tonight" live, we're talking about an eleven song, twenty twenty-one and a half minute record. That's nuts. Most of these yeah. songs clip by. Um, and that's something I also think is really noteworthy about <clears throat> talented punk bands that have a sense of melody to their songs is the ability to capture a melody and make a memorable song in under two minutes. And almost all of these misfit songs, uh, 20 eyes, I turn into a Martian, all hell breaks loose. Vampira, uh, are under a minute and or, or under two minutes. Um, Violent World, Devil's Whorehouse, Astro, Astro Zombies is 214. But, you know, all these songs 
are clipping in between a minute 30 and 215. That's impressive. You know, uh, Hate Breeders is the song that's the longest, and that's just over three minutes. So there's something about this record that's it's very easy to digest, even if you weren't a punk super fan. So if you're someone who's more into rock or you're more into indie or you're just not familiar with this at all, but you're you're curious, I would actually recommend this as a door opener punk record for someone of any age. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, if given the option, would you take out Mommy? Uh, the no, library? I would not. I would not because the energy on it fits with the record and it sets this weird tone um, coming to this from you know, being an early punk record I owned, um, it was, it set the table for me being like, oh, wait, what? This is a, uh, they're putting a song played live, not like a studio song on here. Um, so no, I, I think it adds to the record. What about you? I definitely wouldn't, but I, I, I was listening to it. I actually listened to it again right before we, you know, recorded right now. And uh, dude, th- like the bass drops out, like it's not even a good <laughs> you know but like that being so like again it just it get it's get it gets back to the energy where it's 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 really hard to do that and i think that we need to appreciate like bands like that don't come around every you know every day where you can record like a super sloppy live version and it it it's like actually the like definitive version you know yes yeah, so um, so I said, yeah, I, I, I agree with that strongly. Um, this is a punk record that I would also put it this way, and I hadn't thought of it till we were talking about this, and Simple Songs, and there's this Elvis reference. They're using source material of like 50s and maybe early 60s simple, melodic rock and roll songs, but you know, uh, let's click the speed up double speed and make it feel aggressive and violent almost, um, but still have that tunefulness. So even if (laughs) there's an abrasion to the content, I feel like there's at least three songs on this record that would get stuck in almost anyone's head. Now that said, how has this record aged? Is this a record that you think being played to someone who's young in 2020, someone under 25, um, is this a record you think they, they could appreciate, enjoy, and really come to love as their own, like, like say you or I have? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of feelings on that and I'm not sure exactly where I land, but so, you know, when I saw them in Newark last year, or two years ago, whatever it was. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy it. You know, it was, it was fine, whatever. Um, that being said, there were a lot of parents there with kids and they were having a fantastic time, you know? Um, so in that way, I think that they're definitely, they're one of those bands that you know, parents are passing down to their kids. Like my dad was like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to see yes. And like, there are some cooler dads who are like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to see the misfits. You right. know? So, um, <laughs> That's arguable. You know, it's just depending on your perspective, right? Yeah, no, sure. But like, um, 
the energy's still there. I think you know if you if you have you know someone there to show it to you. Um, at the same time, is it one of those things that you can kind of find on your own? You know that might get you into subculture in some way. Like I honestly don't know. Um, and you know, one of the things I thought about was that. Um, you know, I collect records, I'm on some message boards, you know, with people talking about, you know, new vinyl that's coming out or like, you know, reissues. And, um, recently, maybe a year ago, there was a reissues of the famous monsters LP, which is mm-hmm. one of the, uh, I think it's the second, um, kind of comeback album from the late nineties. Yes. Um, apparently that on vinyl was like a $200 record and people were thrilled that it was getting reissued. And I thought to myself, like, you know, because personally, I just I've never heard that album. I, I kind of dropped off at that point. Sure. Um, but there were a lot of people who were really, really excited for it. And I thought to myself, like, that was potentially the first Misfits album that a lot of people heard. Like, that was their gateway. And like, there's probably a lot of people who prefer, you know, American Psycho, Famous Monsters era to to any of the early stuff, you know, like. L- so- let me Let me confirm that for you. Um, which is a bit of a, it was a bit of surprise to me. Um, and it's not, it's people who are maybe just under your age range, Pete, um, people who got into the misfits, maybe three, four years after us, um, or say in the early two thousands, when they went back, the records they were hearing were famous monsters in the American psycho. And the, appreciation for those records in the past five to eight years that I've noticed is um, it was very surprising to me because those records, you know, let's be fair. They were sort of admonished and kind of dismissed as that's not the real misfits. That's not Glenn Danzig. And um, it forced me to go because I had sat with that. I had heard those records probably once when they each came out and that was it for me. But when, and, and you know, I was young, so it was easy to dismiss things, and I, I still had a lot of music to discover. But but when I started hearing people really talk up these these Michael Graves Misfits records, I was like, okay, let me let me give it a try. And uh, I don't feel that kind of love for them. But there's a couple songs. There's a couple songs that I'm like, okay, I get it. But it doesn't. What those records really lack is this raw fervent energy that is kind of the, the, that we keep circling around and going back to and saying, look, you just can't re you can't recreate this kind of energy by force. This is something that happens and sometimes bands capture it and sometimes they just don't and walk among us has it in spades. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on a purely production level, I don't know. I hear from people on each side of the fence that sometimes you know, I've heard from some people that they can't listen to old music that doesn't have a certain production quality, and that's okay. But uh, but I think this is a pretty timeless record. That yeah, said, I mean, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, please. I was just gonna say. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, for me, like a lot of the early punk albums that I you know got into initially, you know, they, they sound like this. Um, so to my ear, it's fine. But. Um, I imagine, you know, going along with the famous monsters, American psycho, you know, era people, 
um, I can totally see how, you know, that kind of newer production value, which I, I guess at this point is 20 years old, but it still sounds a lot fresher, I think, than um, Walk Among Us. For sure. Um, you know, how people could get in there and, you know, not be as excited by the older stuff. So, um, yes. And so I think you, you asked an, a really great question at the beginning of the episode. I think we should circle into that as it kind of segues into this really well. Yeah. So, you know, are the Misfits still a gateway band? Because they were so obviously a gateway band for me. Um, you know, they, led me to black flag and you know just all of these other kind of critical punk bands of the time and of the era um and i just don't know you know i'm full disclosure i'm 35 years old i at this point don't really know where if people are getting into punk rock what the gateway is you know um i because you know quite honestly like i think of famous monsters being a gateway album. And I have to imagine like, maybe that's not one either, you know, like maybe the misfits are just an iconic logo at this point. I honestly have no idea. I think, um, exactly the same. Um, <clears throat> what I will say is I have a def definite opinion. on. I don't believe they are. Um, uh, I think that they can be, but you made this really great point And it's sort of like, I, I often think of bands as having different life cycles and, and different <clears throat> waves in popularity and rises and falls and in terms of cycling in and out of pop culture or, or popularity and subculture for that matter. You gave the example of getting into punk music through Green Day. And, and I think it's important for people to note that, you know, in the mid 90s, early mid 90s, there was grunge and alternative and that was sort of how i got into it and immediately following that and kind of adjacent to it at the end of it was was this weird little rise of punk music where green day hits big and then rancid and the offspring also do and those are all varying levels of you know quote-unquote credibility punk music uh and so you know that's a longer conversation we can have blah, blah, blah. that's not really what it's about what it's about is the sonic nature of it that whole wave of bands, and if you want to also include the rise of heavy metal, um, which you know starts in the mid '80s, uh, early mid '80s, and and continues, um, Metallica was always wearing the Misfits on their sleeve as, "Hey, this is a band you need to know." I'm not sure that young people think they need to know Metallica at this point, um, right? Or or use that as a go-to, like, "Hey, I'm gonna check out this Metallica band. What's this all about?" Green Day, Rancid, The Offspring, they made it a really easy sonic jump over to The Misfits, who then make it an easy jump over to several other more, more underground punk hardcore bands or the, that whole world. I don't see sonic <clears throat> analogs to that. Yeah. You know, in mainstream punk music, um, and there's some of it, but you start to have to make you need something in between that pop culture relevant band and then getting, you need one other band to be a step to the misfits at this point. So I think that takes them away. They're still, I said they're a door opener band because their sound is a bit accessible and it's tuneful and a, a little easier to palette than some things. 
But right now, I don't know. Like, you know, um, there's people who still check out, you know, the, the new Blink-182 record, but, but that's a, a, grow, a shrinking population. So what are the big bands who you could say, hey, I could see someone checking this out and then they'd be able to step over into the Misfits? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Misfits at this point, their influence is so baked in to like all, not even just subculture, like all music, I think. Um, you know, Blink-22, like still a huge band, you know? Um, Absolutely. And, you know, they have an obvious influence, but, you know, things like like the the biggest subcultural bands like you know like let's talk about like morbid angel for death metal uh, you for know sure. and like my chemical romance who like you know just got off this big reunion tip like that's right all of those bands like the misfits are like so baked into their dna it's undeniable they might not sound like them they might not look exactly like them but like you know the 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 vibe and the spirit is definitely there like um i actually just got um, a new book that came out called scream with me. And it's, 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 it's basically a coffee table book of misfits art. Um, and it's one of those things to me where, you know, I don't want to say that the misfits are like relegated to being a coffee table book, but like, I don't know, man, like this book, the, the book kind of stands on its own when I look through it. Um, in a way that like, it doesn't even need the music. Like you, you no. look through it and you think to yourself like, wow, this is like this, this kind of iconography and this kind of aesthetic is like, it's so, it's, it's so entrenched in like where like a lot of, you know, popular music and, you know, subcultural music at this point that it doesn't really matter if people are listening to the records because the influence is like so obviously there. <sighs> Yeah, and you know, that's interesting. Uh, we didn't really talk about their influence on their iconography and look of punk, but they deserve more credit for that as well. Sure. Um, but but you're right. And, and here's where I stand on it. Is the fact that they have something like a coffee table book, which by the way, uh, at least two mutual friends of ours contributed to that book. So we should, we'll, we'll talk about that off air. Um, but is the fact that there's a coffee table book about them that's really beautiful and well done. And anyone who enjoys them, uh, you should run, don't walk and get that now. Uh, but they, and then even you throw on these reunions. And I wonder if that relegates them a bit into this world of, <clears throat> well, they're not an active band and they're not releasing current music, you know? Um, so they're relying on a bit of a legacy thing. And I always wonder about how in the long and short of it, younger people who let's be honest, music, you know, punk music for the, for the most part is aimed at, uh, these feelings of aggression and anxiety and angst. They, they strike some chords with teens and, and people in their younger years not to say that they don't hit me and you in our mid to late thirties the same, but, but still um, I wonder about how that being a legacy act interplays with the idea of aiming at young people, you know, for most people who, you know, what is the average age of someone who attends a riot fest? 
for example, which is a big uh, annual festival that went on for a few years. They had a, at least one or two they were doing in Denver and Chicago. And I think they did a couple other locations as well. I think I know they've done Philadelphia. I think they did Southern California somewhere. Um, but right. what do you, what would you estimate? And this is purely blind, but would you, I would put the average age around 25. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking older. I was thinking, Oh, see, there you go. I was thinking late thirties. Oh, see. And that's, that is the question. If it's late thirties, then I, my assumption is that it's people who are familiar with the band and I could be wrong, but that is where I, I start to wonder about, wonder about the relevance or, or vitality of an artist because the age starts to factor in. That said, to me, Walk Among Us is absolutely timeless. The energy jumps off the page and a 38-year-old can like this as much as a 17-year-old today, tomorrow, and hopefully to the end of time. Um, But but I don't know. It's it's very... I don't think they're a gateway band um, in the same way as they were for people 20 years ago. Uh, for the last 10 years, mm, I'd say they're probably about the same. I think they're not the, uh, they're not the first door you walk through. They're, they're later. Yeah. You know, if that yeah. sounds right. You know, I think you, you know, you go back to this when my chemical romance, my chemical romance was a very, very popular band. And you talk about them or a band like something like fallout boy. There's probably a step in between there. You know, it's like, oh, I discovered My Chemical Romance and then something in between. And then I got to the Misfits um, and other bands, quote unquote, like that. And, and I do, I think there was a point where you were discovering bands like Black Flag or The Descendants or Minor Threat through the Misfits. And they may now be in the same bucket with those bands in the discovery process. Yeah. And I, I mean, I also wonder how, how much, you know, being that their logo and everything is so iconic, I wonder how much that hurts them at this point. You know, like maybe people are reluctant to check them out because it's so obvious. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't know. It's just more of a, more of a question, but I, I agree. Think a- I think there's probably people out there who've heard the misfits name and maybe heard a song or two, but never really gave it a deep dive. That's a, yeah. that's a good, um, we should probably start wrapping things up, but I did want to ask because we talked about the iconography a little bit. If you were to look at the cover of this record, would you know what it sounds like? And it's a little hard because you have to almost divorce yourself from knowing this record for yeah. going on 30 years. That's um, so what do you I know think? What it sounds like. Um, I think that I divorcing myself from it, no. Um, because at this point, you know, there's a store called Hot Topic that I'm sure everyone's aware of. It's in every <laughs> yeah. mall in America. Um, you know, the aesthetic was, you know, more or less like co-opted by Hot Topic. So like I, in that way, you know, I don't know. It could sound like My Chemical Romance for all I know. It could sound like anything. Um, right. It could be some sort of throwback, you know, cover art where they're trying to, you know, like they have their spaceships and, you know, all these different things. Um, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I think at this point, like looking at the cover art itself, it's, it would be really hard to tell. I agree. I do think it, I will say that it evokes something weird and eerie. Um, 
for sure. So you have the band members on the cover. You have this odd looking bat spider creature and you have walk among us in a really plain font. That's again, when I look at this record cover, there's eight different elements that I'm pulling apart and going, they have this high contrast photo. They have these layers of different things. The colors are really unique. They're using this purple green color combination that, um, and they, you know, there's been different pressings with pink and what have you, but the purple green is what I think of. And it's, those are colors typically associated with these odd and foreign things. Um, the, the Misfits logo itself is kind of a weird looking thing. I wouldn't know what it sounds like, but I know it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> if I mean, that makes if, sense. if there's a kid, you know, that's, you know, new to all this stuff, seeing this album cover, I don't know. I mean, you look at pictures of the cure, you look at pictures of typo negative, you look at pictures of, you know, uh, sisters of mercy, you know, I mean, all these bands, like in different iterations, they kind of look very similar. Right. So like this wow. could be like synthy throwback. It could be, you know, horror influenced. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm just trying to put myself in the perspective of someone seeing it now with fresh eyes. I, oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? Directions for me. When you say that, it also makes me think too. The Misfits, because of our background, we associate them in this bucket with punk and hardcore, and and that that's where they belong. That 100 do. But there's also this larger world where you mentioned Sisters of Mercy, The Cure, Typo Negative. Those are all bands with very diverse sounds. However those were all bands that you could see on the stickers on the bumper, the bumper stickers of a car and somebody could have all those bands and a misfits crimson ghost sticker. And it wouldn't be that off putting or weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I wonder about those people, the people whose only true interaction with the more punk world of music. It, it may be, it, maybe it hits the Ramones, maybe it hits, some of the 77 stuff, maybe, uh, but it might just stop at the misfits. And, yeah. And I kind of think that's a unique and, and cool place. And what does that say about the rest of the pool and how, how unique the misfit sound is even in the framework of the, uh, where they get categorized and, and the, the record section they're put in at the record store, you know? No, for sure. I mean, kind of last thing on, you know, their influence, but, um, I lived in San Francisco for five years and while I was living there, I, um, I, every summer I worked at basically like the biggest concert venue around. It was called Shoreline Amphitheater. Uh, it was kind of like the big, you know, outdoor arena there. And, right. uh, you know, that's where Ozfest was held every year. So I worked the Ozfest every year for four or five years. And, you know, I think, at this point, probably most people at least remember Ozfest somewhat. If you're younger, maybe not, but you know, um, it was essentially a big you know metal festival headed by Ozzy Osbourne, right? Um, you know, a lot of bigger bands. Black Sabbath would play some years. Um, you know, um, uh, all the big metal bands at the time. It really doesn't matter. Slayer, you know, whoever it was. Every everyone went through Ozfest yeah, for sure. Every, everyone went through Ozfest. That being said, um, none of the bands sounded like the Misfits from my recollection, but tons of Misfits shirts, you know, sure. um, like their influence was all over the place, 
aesthetically and, you know, people were kind of clinging on and wearing shirts and this and that, but you know, there was, there definitely wasn't a band there that sounded anything like them. So it's interesting how, uh, how, you know, their influence can kind of translate in these different ways. Yeah. I mean, yes. And it's, they transcend a genre in such a way that it almost feels like they could be grouped with bands that are so different than them just because of how large their influence is. So, right. uh, wow. Well, I, I sort of feel like after this conversation, we should take, have you ever been to Lodi? I actually haven't. No, I was thinking Me about neither. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we need to go do a, a road trip up there. Uh, when, yeah, when, Lodi when, when it's, yeah. All right. Let's, we're going to, we're going to pencil it in. Um, yeah. <laughs> as is standard for us on this, these episodes, do you have a record you want to pick for next time? Or do we want to, do you want it to be a surprise? Um, this time let's let it be a surprise. Okay. I have some ideas. Um, I have a few directions I think we could go, but, um, yeah, let's, let's hold it for next week. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, you can follow us on all the relevant social media feeds at. It came from NJ pod. And you can email us at. It came from NJ pod at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I turned into a Martian. <laughs>